one as of now we are recording live and just want to say you know we've I've, ever since i've been starting doing this podcast and we, i'm my best friend we've been doing it for over a year now we've had plenty of guests on Mackenzie. i just want to say two things you are the first guest now that we've had on twice and also <laughs> if you look back at all of our guests we've had in the top five episodes of all time you are number three in terms of our top ever episodes done and i just want to say welcome back man hey that's that's some awesome stuff that like i'm so honored to uh be asked to join you on your podcast that's really cool yeah, that's, I'm, I'm happy that you're happy because when we did our first uh, episode which i believe was back in february like that was some of the that was one of the few episodes where i walked away like learning a, a whole bunch of stuff and then when i actually put it on my uh gym page put it on my personal page and personal instagram a lot of people actually contacted me and said wow i actually learned a lot from that podcast and honestly you got to say man um especially following you in terms of social in terms of social media as well like you got a whole bunch of knowledge man based around nutrition and I was just going to say, man, how long have you been studying nutrition for now since the last time we talked? Um, first thing, man, that's uh, some really fantastic uh, feedback. I, I really do appreciate it. So, I mean, it, it, in terms of how long I've been studying nutrition, it really depends on what you define as study. Um, you know, formally, it's probably been three years of continuous study. However, I've now been doing my master's, uh, which obviously is the highest level of academia that I've been I guess, studying or involved in, I'm now sort of halfway through that and working full-time means that I'm doing the master's part-time. So it takes me a little bit longer than your usual uh, master's. So um, it is a research-based master's. So I have a big thesis coming up, but yeah, you know, it's been, you know, my interest in nutrition ever since I started like learning about nutrition has probably been a six-year thing um, but the thing worth noting is that there are definitely many many folks out there who know so much more than me like it's not funny and this whole idea of the Dunning-Kruger thing where you first start to learn a little bit about a topic and all of a sudden you think you're a guru then realize you get that you get a big slap in the face and realize that you know nothing and then slowly you build back up there um, that is definitely a real deal however you know if I was to toot my own horn for a second I actually feel like it's my lack of academic intelligence compared to the other folks, you know, doing masters or PhDs and things like that in nutrition that gives me like somewhat of a point of difference because, you know, I'm not an academic person, but here I am doing things that would be defined as academic. And uh, what it basically forces me to do is to be able to translate messages into something that i can understand and i can relate to and that could involve things like certain frameworks or analogies but i can then like sort of communicate this to other people because when you're an academic and you don't have the ability to just talk to everyday folks you know you're probably not helping that many people you might be like you know moving uh i guess the scientific literature forwards and benefiting society in that way but I feel like, you know, the shortcoming is then translating that into messages and practical messages that people, you know, in the like just sort of everyday folks, if we want to call it, if we want to call it that, um, that they can actually understand and grasp and be able to apply to their own life and their own diets. Oh, that makes sense because what you spoke about earlier, I mean, one of the reasons why I believe that you actually put everything, uh, so good at putting stuff out there. And again, I feel 100% the same with you. 
expressing myself as a PT, like there's so many other PTs out there that know so much more. And then when you're constantly around people who know so much more, you can be quite humbling in a way. Um, because then there's something very um, important that someone told me that a, what's it called? A fool believes himself to be an intelligent man, but uh, an intelligent man thinks of himself as a fool because it goes down to the idea, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Um, yeah. But the one of the reasons why I've always been following you is just the way that you present your content is in such like bite-sized chunks. Now, in the world of research, it can be, in my experience, times tedious. Going through hours and hours of long research and papers and reading constant references and you know, constantly trying to break everything down to get the information for you as you put it in like almost bite-sized chunks like you can do in your social media posts where it's just four slides and you just explain the, explain the study, explain the purpose, explain the results, give your own personal knowledge. You can read that in the space of a couple of minutes and then you've learned something. And I feel like that's where we're going right now in terms of like, in terms of nutrition and training, especially in things like reels. People are explaining exercises, recipes, nutrition in the space of like up to 10 seconds or less. So obviously, you know, everyone, it's important to be reading the main, the big stuff, like, you know, the long hours and hours of reading. And obviously that's how you get, you know, certificates and degrees. But for people who are not interested in getting a master's degree or not interested in getting a bachelor's or certificate, they just want to read that sort of stuff and then just almost get better and uh, like sort of upskill themselves in a way. Um, and that brings me to where we are now. Uh, recently, we had a discussion before I invited you back on the podcast where I had someone, I'll give you some context. So someone came to me and someone was telling me about this new supplement line. And then they were saying to me, oh, what is it they were they put up they saying that this is new supplement mine that they believe to replacing whole foods now personally when i saw that myself i was like okay so this is why we hate influencers so much but i'm sure then there's a way to break it down but then straight away within like 20 minutes of having that conversation you put up the post on social media saying so-called wellness experts advising social media audience that whole foods is no need is not is not needed with their new supplement line now someone from your expertise and someone from your perspective explain to me the context of why this is in fact uh, false yeah so when it comes to supplements um supplements can be highly beneficial all the way through to completely pointless, then all the th way through to detrimental. And I think it's the, the potential for a supplement to be detrimental, which people aren't aware to like those avenues by which they can actually harm someone. Um, you know, people think of supplements as like, okay, well, it might, you know, a lot of people know that or have the understanding that the supplement in question probably doesn't do anything. I think that's sort of my assumption is that that's the general approach from people, but often they then think, well, you know, what's the harm in, in trying, you know, it's a bit of money, but what's the harm in trying? Well, actually there, there are reasons why we shouldn't just take supplements because it might work. You know, it's not a risk-free thing. So really the deal with supplements is that on the continuum or I guess the scale of order of importance. So if we want to improve our body or improve our health or change our bodies rather, 
or do anything like that, there are certain factors that sort of lie on a continuum. And we should not really be worrying about the thing further up the scale unless we're nailing that more important, more pivotal and more influential factor first. So the more influential factors would be, you know, general diet quality, um, you know, is the, the diet whole food focused? Uh, you know, are we controlling calories to some degree in some manner, whether it be objectively, numerically or just, you know, via habits and things like that? So they're sort of generally speaking, depending on the goal, but, you know, more specifically for weight management health, like the big rocks. And then supplements are like the very tip of the iceberg or like the icing on the cake. Whereas it's sort of like having a car and saying, um, you know, I'm going to worry about what rims it's got when you don't even have your driver's license. It's like, okay, if we want to learn how to drive a car and be able to drive, you know, to the beach on the weekend, uh, we should probably worry about getting our license first before we worry about what rims we put on our car, right? So, you know, that's not to say that supplements don't like have their place because in some instances, every top one percenter is, is worth it. But, you know, unless you're nailing those big rocks first, you don't have a place, you know, really talking about things like supplements. However, there is some nuance to that because in some instances, supplements might be quite important. So for example, if someone is deficient in iron, you know, having an eye, like taking supplemental iron could really be quote unquote, a game changer for that person. So there are like different situations where that would not be, you know, where supplements would be quite important. So really, you know, we would take supplements to address a shortcoming of our diet. Um, and even if that's for convenience reasons. So, you know, we would take a protein powder. You know, sure, we can eat protein powder through food, but sometimes, you know, we don't want to have, you know, a chicken breast on the side of our oats. We want to just mix some delicious chocolate, chocolate protein powder into our oats. So it can be for a convenience or, or um, like a, a preference perspective. Okay, that would be a sound reason to have a supplement. The other one would be to address like something that the diet doesn't provide us with. So for example, again, you know, if the individual was iron deficient, they weren't getting enough iron through their diet, then supplementing with iron would be appropriate. However, almost always, we don't want to just take a supplement because we think we might be deficient in it or we think we need more because more does not necessarily equal better. And I'll get to that in a second. But the other reason is that, you know, unless we have actually been diagnosed with a deficiency, you know, you are iron deficient, then it's not a good idea to just take a supplement because there are risks involved in doing that. So unless there is a reward for doing it, then it's not worth taking, you know, uh, sort of exposing yourself to a risk factor. So back to what I was saying before, what are the risks? What are the negatives of taking a supplement just because? So there are numerous risks. For athletes competing in tested sports, well, often supplements might contain a bad, banned substance. And this might be completely by accident or through cross-contamination. You know, we can do things like, you know, only by batch tested um, supplements that have been independently tested for purity, but still there is always an inherent risk factor. The other reason, and this is more speaking towards sort of your everyday folks, is that there is this idea of uh, the food matrix where foods, certain components of foods and nutrients and you know, vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients and all these little things, they are all present in foods in like to form a matrix. So they all are present in certain ratios and in certain combinations that basically enhance their effect once ingested. Okay, so sometimes when we ingest a really high dose of one particular nutrient, it might affect that balance. 
because we don't have that food matrix or that synergistic effect going on. So different nutrients that are, they work synergistically. Okay. So for example, if we, you know, ingest a, a large amount of, um, I think it's iron, then sometimes it might affect our calcium absorption. I might be wrong with the combination of it and my memory's just really off the mark right now. But what I'm saying is that if you ingest very high doses of one particular thing, it might affect the efficacy or the efficiency or the, the, just the effectiveness of the actions of other nutrients or other uh, components of that food. And, or it could actually even affect the absorption of other nutrients that compete for the same absorption pathways, which then may even cause a deficiency in something else. Okay. Uh, and the other thing, of course, is that it, costs a lot of money and we need to remember that taking supplements is an expensive thing and our financial health is a part of our total health health is more than just you know our weight or our body fat percentage or our blood work it also encompasses our social health and things like our financial health too so that's something that we need to consider the other thing we can develop like an unhealthy dependence on you know if we don't if we don't take our supplements like we're bad or we're you know we're uh, doing something wrong or we're you know we're failing with our diet um like sort of objectives and that can be a negative thing psychologically because it creates dichotomous thinking where, you know, you are good or bad or you are on or off a bad wagon, which, can be, which has been linked with, you know, body image concern and um, eating pathology, so disordered eating and things like that. Um, uh, I think I've covered everything, yeah. Oh, and then the final one is that it can actually distract us from the things that matter. You know, we can get so fixated on the latest supplement and whether we take it and which product to buy that we kind of completely miss the forest of the trees. Whereas we should be focusing on things like, hey, you know, like, are we, you know, eating enough vegetables? And in terms of magnitude of effect or level of influence on um, the outcome that you desire, something like eating enough fruits and vegetables is like far more important and meaningful. And like, we don't have any place, as I said before, worrying about supplements until we're nailing those big rocks first. So long story short, um, supplements can be anything from a small help to pretty helpful, uh, but most of the time, like 95% of the time, they're not. You know, if we think of the supplements out there that actually have enough evidence behind them to say that, hey, they work, um, it's like a tiny amount of supplements. And, you know, unless we're talking about correcting a deficiency or something of that nature, usually in the, in the supplements that we know work, the actual magnitude of benefit is very small and not always shown in every one. So like there are supposed people who don't respond to creatine. There are also people who, you know, don't do well on caffeine. So all because a supplement has solid evidence behind it doesn't mean that like it's really going to do much. It might help a little bit and doesn't mean that it's going to help you as an individual. That makes sense. There was a lot of fair points that you put. There were a lot of points you just got across just right then. There was one that just really stood out to me of what you just said, where if you take, sorry, I'm repeating this in Korean, but if you take so much of something, then it affects the way that other mechanisms create nutrients. Was that correct? Uh, semi, semi. So this is this idea of like the food matrix where different components of of a food that are you know present in their natural form they work synergistically to have like an overall enhanced positive effect whereas if you don't have that balance of various food components you're not you're not going to uh, get the benefits of that synergistic effect 
And therefore you're going to be getting less out of that nutrient or other nutrients. Okay. So the reason why I wanted you to repeat that and sort of get that out is because there were, it, it, you kind of answered my second question in advance where, again, we can clear up a little bit more. I wanted to ask you about the post you put up recently about vitamin C uh, and about why you believe it to be pointless. Now, the reason why I, when I looked at that and read it, I was like, oh, that's really, that's, that's interesting. Because for me personally, I am someone who I can share this opinion with a lot of people, hate, hate getting sick with a passion. It is like the worst feeling in the world. And me growing up personally, I was always taught to believe you, oh, if you get a, a flu or a cold, and again, this is general, this is knowledge that I had to throw away that, oh, it could be because you're lacking in vitamin C. And I always thought that vitamin C was something that you need to take in order to keep away things like, you know, the cold or the bug or the virus. So when I thought, you know, Obviously, when this COVID was going around, I thought, you know, everyone was going to be hopping on the vitamins, wagon, especially taking vitamin C. Um, and also, can you explain why, you know, in short, why it is that vitamins are C is pretty much, it's almost like you said, taking it is pointless. Hmm. Yeah. So look, if you are deficient in something, like you literally you know, don't have enough of something going around or coming in uh, like a certain vitamin, getting those levels up to an adequate range will have a notable different difference on its respective uh, mechanisms of action. And one of those for vitamin C being, you know, it, it plays a role in, uh, it's an antioxidant, so it plays a role in immunity and, and that sort of side of things. So if you are deficient and you increase your vitamin C to an adequate amount uh, via food or supplements, that's going to be worthwhile. That's definitely a good idea, right? However, going beyond an adequate amount isn't necessarily better. And there are numerous reasons for that. But before I get to that, I'll actually explain that, or you must understand, or the listeners must understand that meeting an adequate amount of vitamin C, like achieving enough to be adequate or, you know, good with vitamin C, quote unquote good, is very, very easy. Um, from memory, even just one kiwi fruit doubles the recommended daily intake of vitamin C for adult Australians. So, you know, think about if we just eat general fruits and veggies, especially if we are meeting the Australian Dietary Guidelines uh, recommendations for fruit and veggies, which is about 300 grams of fruit a day, two serves, or five servings of vegetables, which is about 400 grams a day. Uh, we should have no issue at least going, at least just meeting vitamin C adequacy. It's a very easy nutrient to meet an adequate amount of. Now, as I said, more is not better. You know, there is no real evidence to suggest that having more than the adequate amount is going to give you better of anything. Um, you know, if you have a cold and you sort of really slam uh, vitamin C in a very high dose, it may help there uh, if you were in competition and you wanted to, you know, maximize your preparedness for, you know, the next day, like if it's a multi-day competition or, you know, like I think back to my own experience when I used to race mountain bikes, like it would be a three-day sort of thing and I'd be really sore each day. So in those instances, it might be, you know, worthwhile taking vitamin C during that time to try and, you know, mitigate that soreness for the next day. So I could be more prepared to perform my best, for example, right? But in those, in any other situation, like you're not going to get anything more out of extra vitamin C. You know, it's not really going to stop you from getting sick. It's not really going to, you know, get you better quicker, like it, a marginal difference. Um, but there are also some trade-offs to actually consider. And, you know, if you are someone who 
trains or exercises to either be stronger, to be more jacked, or to be more fatigue resistance in an endurance setting. So you're like an endurance exerciser. Um, when we exercise, we need to understand that how we get better is actually a response to a stimuli and the stimuli being the training. It is a stressor that is placed on the body and then the body must respond to that and it does so by ad adapting. And that is that repeated SRA, uh, stimulus uh, response adaptation. Okay, there's that continued cycle over and over again, which makes us better at whatever we're trying to achieve in training. Now, that the initial response to the stressor is an important part of the adaptation that then follows. However, very high doses of vitamin C that we would only feasibly obtain through supplementation actually blunts that initial inflammatory response after a training stimulus has been applied. Now, the result of that is because the response is blunted, the adaptation is therefore going to be blunted too. So long-term, if we were consistently supplementing with vitamin C, in short, we might be leaving quote-unquote gains or training response outcomes or progress on the table. We might be selling ourselves short from, you know, getting as jacked as we want sort of perspective or, but again, you know, it's not going to make like, it's not going to mean that you won't get jacked at all. It might just mean that you're just leaving some gains on the table. So really like it all comes back to this like argument of, well, what would be the benefit of me taking vitamin C if I'm already eating enough through food, which is a very easy thing to do. Um, and if you weren't eating enough through food, then, you know, just some very basic dietary adjustments would allow you to achieve that. And to me, there is just not a very favorable risk versus reward ratio when you are considering the purpose and utility of vitamin C supplementation. I see. Okay. Point, point. I, now, there's another thing that's also been on the market lately. This might have been trending. Now, personally, for you and me, uh, because we obviously live in Australia, obviously you're in Gold Coast, I'm in Perth. Um, Rice Krispie treats aren't exactly something that I used to get a hold of these days. But there's been a lot of, uh, what is this? there's been a lot of talk of going around lately. A lot of people taking these uh, Rice Krispie bars before they have workouts. Uh, have you heard about this uh, trend going around? um rice crispy bars not specifically but are they something like lcms yes correct uh, is there anything different about them i that's the thing i don't really know like i feel like they're similar to lcms they're like they're not the, the chocolate ones you get the white ones pretty much yeah uh, i was just wondering because there's a lot of talk going around lately about oh yeah having rice crispy treats for a workout apparently it's supposed to help with the pump uh, supposed to you know ease into air well when i said to that i said well maybe that might be the case because you know there's some sugars in it you know mm. uh mm. you get those people they like to have some high gi you know jelly beans before they start a workout you know to get those uh, blood sugar levels up or they like to have mm -hmm. a post-workout well then there's like a little bit of carbs as well in rice krispie treats uh, just, i'm just going to uh, for someone who doesn't really know much about them we don't really get them much here yeah. i was just wondering if you heard anything about it no, I haven't. But what I will say is if they are somewhat similar to an LCM, which, you know, they almost certainly would be, you know, often yeah. you'll see on the labels like, oh, it's organic or it's natural. And then really when you think about it and look at what's in it, uh, it probably isn't too much different than what it says on the tin, which is a Rice Krispie bar, uh, which is basically an LCM of some description. Um, so look, like a lot of things in nutrition, there's grains of truth behind pretty much everything. 
that you hear. As dumb as it is, there's always like almost always some little pinch of truth. Now, having high glycemic, so we, okay, let's take a backpedal here. Exercise, exercise or muscular contraction is quote unquote fueled by this thing called ATP, right? Now we don't store very much ATP. So what we have to constantly do is regenerate it. Now, when we exercise, there's a really high demand for ATP because, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff. We're like moving quite strenuously and like we're moving quickly or lifting a lot of things. Now, so we need to regenerate this ATP. We don't store much of it because we don't store much of it. Now, carbohydrates can keep up to a degree, obviously, uh, with the demand for a, like a very high demand for regeneration of ATP. So, so in short, carbohydrates are the main fuel of strenuous exercise. So prior to commencing or as we commence exercise, we want to basically ensure that carbohydrates are abundantly available because if they are slightly depleted, it may affect our ability to exercise. Now we might still have heaps of carbohydrates in the quote unquote fuel tank, but it's a little bit different to a car, whereas a car will perform the same up until it's empty. When you know the fuel tank of carbs starts to just drop below full, the body sort of starts to know that and it may affect our ability to perform our absolute best. So what we want prior to an exercise session is to basically have our carbohydrate stores fully topped up and probably a little bit of additional carbohydrates just getting into the bloodstream as we exercise because we've, we've consumed carbohydrates in the hours prior. Now, another consideration in exercise is actual comfort. And we need to be extra vigilant with this because during exercise, our ability to digest food or our gut's capacity to tolerate food is impaired for numerous reasons uh, when the exercise is hard enough, of course. So we want to prioritize comfort. And the way we would achieve that is through, quote unquote, more processed, high carbohydrate, low fat and low fiber foods. Something like Rice Krispies really fits that bill. It's going to be low in fiber. It's going to be pretty low in fat. It's going to be very high in carbohydrates. And it's going to be easily digested, you know, without um, causing or risking too much discomfort, like gut upset. Uh, and given the fact that it's low in fiber and fats, it's actually going to be digested and deposited into the bloodstream very, very quickly. Okay, so we can have them, you know, two hours prior to exercise, and that's not just going to be sitting in our gut when we're training. You know, if we had a massive bowl of oats, it's got heaps of fiber in, we're chucking peanut butter in it. That's still going to be sitting in our guts when we exercise. And that's not really of much use. In fact, it's actually going to make us feel kind of heavy and full. And that's going to therefore affect our ability to perform our best. Now, the other thing with the Rice Krispies is that they probably, I would imagine, have a decent amount of sodium or basically salt. Uh, and that can promote blood flow, potentially increase acute blood pressure, uh, and this is probably where this hint of truth of, you know, getting the pump lies. Uh, it may also uh, positively affect hydration status because when, you know, of the fluid that we do consume, if we have electrolytes or sodium paired with that, we're going to basically, for lack of a better phrase, piss out less of it. So we retain more of it. And we know that being adequately hydrated is a good idea for performance. You know, if we are slightly dehydrated, even 2%, we will see a performance detriment. So for these reasons, the Rice Krispie snacks are probably actually a really good idea to be consumed as a pre-exercise snack. However, their benefits are definitely not exclusive to the Rice, Krispie, Rice Krispies, but rather any sort of low fiber, low fat, high carb, easily digestible 
snack, I suppose. Uh, and whether you would have a snack or a meal would sort of depend on when you had your last meal, how hungry you are, how much time you have between the meal and when you commence, want to commence training, your individual preferences and tolerances. But generally speaking, due to their nature, snacks are probably going to be a little bit more easily and comfortable digested. So in terms of something that you would consume quite close to exercising, yeah, you know, things like uh, salted pretzels, rice crispy snacks, LCMs, like a Milo bar, for example. Um, you know, another good one would be like even things like crumpets with a bunch of jam or honey on them are pretty good too. Um, you know, I feel like also the Pop-Tart trend is sort of the same boat from memory. They're actually quite low in fats and, you know, therefore probably actually a pretty good idea pre-exercise for those who have the calories to play with. You know, if you are someone seeking a calorie conscious goal where you do need to be mindful of how you are spending your calories, you probably don't want to be sort of, for lack of a better phrase again, sort of piecing them away on calories that won't really fill you up or suppress your appetite very much. Uh, but if you have the calories to play with, um, you know, yeah, Rice Krispies, those sort of things, great. But again, not exclusive to Rice Rice Krispies, I would say, based on my assumption that they are like LCMs. Ooh, awesome. That makes more sense because when you buy a list of those few uh, few pre-workout recommendations, you know, there's always the typical people that you always go for like the things like the rice cakes, rice cakes and honey. They usually go to the crumpets. Definitely seen that come around. Personally, yeah. I am someone myself who did hop on that Pop-Tart trend. Uh, just, I didn't really, there's just a little, I felt like the sugar sometimes you get a little, I found myself getting a little bit of a crash uh, 30 minutes into the workout. Maybe the, the sugar was a little bit too much. Uh, now, again, just to recap your argument just there, uh, because we were talking about pre-workout meals, like what are some good guidelines, which you just mentioned earlier on that a good pre-workout meal should have? Yeah. So that's, I love that question. I've done a lot on this and it's yeah. pretty much a topic that I'm very interested. But before I'll get into that, you mentioned the crash after the pop tarts, you know, 30 minutes into the workout. Yeah. Now there is this idea that you'll get this spike in blood sugar and then a subsequent crash after something that is quickly digested. So when we think quickly digested, it's going to get in the bloodstream real fast. Okay. So the, really the fundamental difference between the carbs that you get in say broccoli and the carbs that you get in a pop tart is that, you know, I'm not talking about the nutrient side of things. I'm literally just talking about the carbohydrates is that the carbohydrates in the pop tart are going to get sucked in really quickly. Whereas the carbohydrates in the broccoli, you know, with all that fiber and everything is going to take a long time because fiber slows down the rate of digestion. Now, some folks will say to you, you should include a little bit of fat in your pre-exercise meal to basically slow down that rise in blood sugar concentration. So, you know, if you're having a pop tart, it's going to get sucked in really fast and then you're going to see a drop after, right? So then their argument is that, okay, well, if we add a little bit of fats, it's going to be more like more of a drip feed effect rather than just, you know, it's getting sucked in really fast. So we won't get that crash. However, to my understanding, this has actually been tested and it hasn't been shown. There, there isn't, I believe, sufficient evidence to suggest that having something that is high glycemic or high GI, so those more sugary sort of style foods, prior to exercise will necessarily yield a crash due to some sort of quick spike and then quick fall after. In, to my understanding of what I've read, it doesn't work like that. Now, back to your other point about what is a, what do good pre-exercise snacks sort of have? Um, so there are really four pillars of the pre-exercise window. Or there's like a checklist that we would want to consider as we are coming into our exercise session. And for me, this is actually a fantastic example of 
me translating like really complicated nutrition stuff that I read into something that's actually understandable and like an understandable framework. Um, you know, I was reading all these textbooks and doing all these lectures in my graduate, my postgraduate diploma uh, two years ago when it was like, um, you know, we're reading, yeah, in um, performance nutrition. And I'm thinking, you're making this so much more complicated than it needs to be. Like you could just sort of give people four main pillars to consider and give them some nuance and context around it all and right. they probably understand it. So I was going to say, you could do, they could do that, but then they'll lose a whole bunch of money. Yeah. So the four pillars are really the, the things that everyone should consider prior to exercise are comfort and hydration. That's even, you know, my 60 year old mom who goes and does her Pilates, like that's what she's going to, that's, they're the things that she's going to think about. A level up from that fuel availability. And what is fuel for exercise? Carbohydrates. Okay, so we've we've got our carbohydrates available in abundance. So the storage tanks in our liver, in our muscles, and a little bit of extra floating around the bloodstream. There, you know, they're full. There's plenty of carbs around that we can play with. Okay, now the final pillar is caffeine. Caffeine's a little bit more nuanced because not everyone deals with caffeine well. Some people, you know, get really anxious about it or they might need to run to the bathroom really quickly. In that case, I would actually consider before just cutting caffeine, maybe looking at other sources of caffeine or adjusting the dose. Anyway, uh, the other thing you want to think about if it's late in the day, you probably it's probably not worth sacrificing a night of sleep unless it's a really important competition where it would be worth it. But under normal training settings, you know, the I guess the sports performance effect of consistent good sleep supersedes the effect of caffeine on performance, right? So if it's late in the day, don't have caffeine is what I'm saying. But really, you know, under other settings, caffeine, carbohydrates, comfort, and hydration. And these are the things that you want to consider as you are commencing an exercise session. These are the four pillars that you want to consider. Now, the they sort of tie into one another. So the comfort pillar needs to be considered when you are choosing how you're going to nail your fuel pillar. So you need to think about what meals or snacks or ingredients that provide carbohydrates will protect comfort at the same time. Because again, you know, if you just thought carbohydrates, you might go and have a massive bowl of oats with a bunch of, you know, fruit and, you know, a bunch of peanut butter and seeds and all these things. And it's full of fiber, lots of fat, before an exercise session that could cause gut upset. So not satisfying the comfort pillar. Keep going, sorry, I'm just about to sneeze, keep going. <laughs> oh, good. So, so really it's a combination of what works for you, what you're confident will not cause discomfort for you, what you enjoy, uh, as well as consideration for both how much carbohydrate you wish to consume which is also underpinned by whether you are trying to, to restrict your calories for a fat loss purpose or whether you are not trying to do that, uh, as well as the timing. So how much time do I have before my exercise session? You know, if you have four hours, you could probably get, quote unquote, get away with more of a mixed meal because you've got more time to digest that. You know, it's got more time to get past digestion and start drip feeding into the bloodstream. Uh, any gut upset or sort of bloating that might occur might have time to subside a little bit after you eat that meal. Whereas if you only have an hour, you know, your food selection to get those carbohydrates into the bloodstream is going to be vastly different. You don't have as much time to do it. So in those instances, you're going to want to really go low on the fat and the fiber because they're the things that are going to slow it down. 
But also, in addition to that, you also want to think about whether there's any ingredients in there that might actually trigger gut upset. And this could be things such as, you know, certain synthetic fibers or certain sugar alcohols, which are both safe and helpful, but may actually cause gut upset in certain individuals in certain situations. So they're sort of the main things that you would want to think about when it comes to what you eat and drink in the hours prior to exercise. Wow. Damn. Good point. So now, a lot to take in. That is, especially on terms of like caffeine as well, but you kind of made it say that even though it's, it's a pillar, would you argue that it's probably, you know, the weakest of the pillars? Or caffeine? Say, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. It carries the, the lowest utility and I would say the greatest risk of adverse yeah. reaction. Um, so look, it's sort of a thing like if the time of day is appropriate, if the situation is appropriate, if the individual tolerates caffeine well, if they are going to consume a dose and a caffeine and caffeine from a source that they are confident will not cause gut upset, then it's like it's like the the, the risk is lower and the reward is greater. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you take someone who is training late in the day, they don't consume any caffeine and all of a sudden you give them a scoop of like, you know, Jack 3D or some shit. The risk of an adverse reaction is really, really high. Yeah. You know, even if they don't react to it negatively, it could literally put them in this state of anxiety and nervousness. And like, you know, if we were thinking about this in, in a competition setting, that could be like really like a bad thing because you know if you were a power lifter and all of a sudden you're just like so jacked up on caffeine that you are just like a nervous nelly how do you think that's going to affect your ability your ability to perform on the platform oh, obviously quite poor the thing is how i've always seen caffeine is the way i always uh, open to because i get asked a lot this person trained oh do you reckon i should take pre-workout i should take you know should I drink more coffee before workouts i've always seen it as a double-edged sword because yeah. I say, well, look, it can, it will help. It's, it's got many, many studies on it and how much it helps. But at the same time, it can be very, very detrimental. Because let's say, for example, let me give you two scenarios. You give me a scenario, I'll give you one guy who's like, you give them both the exact same amount of ca uh, caffeine. So let's say one scoop of, you know, with the C4 or, you know, any certain uh, contents really, uh, any, anything with enough stimulants in it. You give them, here's the two scenarios. The first scenario, um, uh, first scenario is where they uh, have, you know, plenty of sleep, carbohydrate loaded, plenty of hydration. You give him a scoop of pre-worker, he's going to go smash that, probably, probably going to go smash that pre-worker versus someone who's completely lacking sleep, completely lacking hydration, completely lack in, uh, haven't eaten any food. You give them a, a scoop of caffeine, that's probably going to, have a very, very detrimental effect. So that's just all the way I've seen it. So I've always told people don't depend, it can assist you, but also don't create independence. Uh, now, also there's one last question I sort of just wanted to ask you to finish this up real quick because that's all coming up to the end of our time. It's, I've been having a lot of arguments lately about people and dry scooping pre-workouts. Now, for someone such as myself, like, Pre-workout is awesome. I love it. Uh, it's, it's helped me definitely, you know, I love, you know, especially when you cycle in and off, you know, you go through this caffeine withdrawals, but at the end of it, you know, 
it's, it's definitely worth it when you come off it, especially when you take a non-stimulant one. But there's these people who dry scoop pre-workout, you know, they shove a big scoop down there, I think that makes them look tough, shove a bit of water down there. I've seen some people argue for it. I've seen some people argue against it. What's your personal opinion to finish this up? Yeah, so firstly, I'll say that you're really on the money with your whole spiel about caffeine being a double-edged sword and that we probably should be wary of developing a dependence on it. Now, speaking back towards your question then of the caffeine dry scooping thing, to be honest with you, I haven't looked into whether there are any sort of more specific pros or cons relating to whether you ingest it with fluid or whether you ingest it like dry scooping or whatever you want to call it. Uh, potentially one could just be that when you consume water, you're aiding hydration. Um, uh, there may be other things, you know, like the absorption of it or um, yeah, like how, yeah, the absorption of it, but I'm just not familiar with that. Um, I can see like, if I was to try and be as objective and as fair as possible about it, I would say that, you know, if it's more convenient for you to dry scoop your freaking pre-workout, like go for it as long as you are still hydrated. The one other thing I would say is it's probably an easier means to consume like massive doses of caffeine very easily, um, which is a consideration as well, especially if it's coming from pre-workout, uh, which can have like, you know, 400 milligrams in like a serving at sometimes, which is just freaking through the roof of caffeine. Um, the other thing I would say is that in terms of like this whole idea of cycling on or off, perhaps another approach could be like a maintenance dose, which is like your usual everyday dose. And that doesn't change. You never really cycle on and off. And for me, that's like one black coffee a day. That just, that's something I do all the time. I've done it for years. Like it doesn't change. And, you know, I don't feel a dependence on it, but also at the same time, like, um, you know, I feel like it just is that nice, happy middle road. It's that minimum effective dose. In some instances, I might be inclined to increase my dose when I need it. And perhaps that sort of approach is more desirable where you have your baseline dose, but then the option to have, I guess, like a booster if the situation permits it. Now, for me, a situation would be like, well, I don't really train that hard. So, you know, I don't follow a program that does any of that. Like if the surf was pumping, for example, and, you know, like, it gets really crowded here on the Gold Coast. We A lot of the point breaks have like really big sweeps, which basically means that it can like surfing at some of these spots on a big day when there's a sweep, it's like a freaking marathon for three hours because it's good. You're going to surf for several hours. So you need to be like ready. You need to have carbs, abundant galore, caffeine city, you know, well hydrated because you're about to go to war essentially. So in those instances... I might be like, right, I'm going to have more caffeine. Or if someone like an athlete of mine is, you know, a CrossFitter, for example, and they've got a CrossFit competition, they might go to their upper dose uh, on those days when they are, you know, competing because they want to perform their absolute best. Now, of course, this needs to be tested in prior periods. You know, you wouldn't just go increasing your dose willy-nilly. It'd be something, again, that you've actually tested out in training. You're confident in the sources of caffeine. Uh, or the combination of sources, you're confident in that dose that's going to do its job, you know, not be too much where you're really anxious or, you know, not cause like you to get all like, you got to go shit yourself or something like that. So like, really, it's sort of like, yeah, it's this idea of like, maybe a doctor rather I'm going to cycle on or off. I'm just going to always start off with like that baseline dose. And that stays the same. There's no need to cycle on or off. It just stays the same. 
And then only on the days where I need or like the weeks of training where, you know, I'm in like an overreaching period or like it's a competition or something and I really want to maximize things, they're the times where you might go like, okay, I'm going to go up a level. Understood, understood. So there's safe to say in short, you know, it's what better is you say, it's more of like, you know, it can benefit you, it can benefit you, you know, depending, but the literature's still kind of out there, you know what I mean? Like the jury's still out there and whatever it's better is dry scoop or, you know, just take it how it should be with water. Yeah, speaking to dry scooping more specifically, I would say that, well, firstly, I don't know if there's literature on it because I haven't looked for it. Um, I can see like logical now behind why you wouldn't do it and why it would be better just to consume it as recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, so of rationale, if I'm trying to be as objective and fair and like level-headed as possible, why for convenience reasons or even preference reasons, someone just said, oh, I can't be bothered mixing water. I'll just dry scoop it. I, I understand that. I, I, I can empathize with that. Whether it's, you know, and the thing is, even if it might not be the best idea for the benefits of convenience and feasibility, it might actually be worth it in some pe- for some people. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Fair point. Oh, well, that's a, that's a good point to finish it on. Uh, first of all, just want to say thank you so much for coming back on, Mackenzie. It's always an honor to have you on. Uh, honestly, man, you keep up the good work with what you're doing on social media, man, because I'm constantly following, you know, I'm always reading, I'm always learning what you're doing. Uh, and honestly, I want to make sure we can leave this conversation a little bit open-ended, you know, somewhere down the line, if you ever come across any information on, you know, whatever it's better to try scoop or whenever it's better to take a water, honestly, let me know and post it. And that's something, again, we can talk about in the future. I mean, other than that, man, um, just one last question before we let you go. Of course, I'm always saying if my uh, audience wants, wears, wants so if my audience wants to find you and follow you, where can they? Yeah, man. Thanks so much for, for having me on the podcast again. Like really appreciate you asking some really good questions that are making me think a little bit here. Mm. Um, so where they, can the listeners find me? So they can definitely find me on Instagram. Uh, it's at Mackenzie Baker, one word, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. Baker, like baking a cake with an underscore at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I also work for a company called Fortitude Nutrition Coaching, also on Instagram as well as Facebook. Uh, and then on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, I have the Macabolic Podcast and Fortitude Nutrition has the Team FNC Podcast. Now, if you just want bite-sized chunks, like three-minute episodes on a particular topic, the Team FNC Podcast is definitely the one for you. Josh is really good at explaining things uh, very succinctly, very concisely in a very sort of simple way. And they are topics that people are actually interested in knowing. They're not like the long-form ones, whereas my my own podcast is more like a conversation or a storytelling sort of thing with a guest and, and on the odd occasion um, with by myself. So yeah, thanks again for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I hope the listeners got something else out of it. And um, I will actually put that on the list of things I could write content on the dry scooping versus in the water pre-workout. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. All right. Well, you take care of yourself, man. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one. All the best. You too.